The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. This morning we're reading Galatians 5, 1-15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only (coughs) thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The kind of persecution does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This ends the reading of God's word. Thank you, Job. Wow. (laughs) Uh, This is an interesting passage, is it not? At first glance... It would seem as though it is primarily about uh, circumcision, and uh, quite graphically so. In fact, uh, more so than you may even realize it at first glance. If you um, really kind of read that over a few times, you'll, you'll notice uh, what I mean by that. Uh, and so if you're visiting with us for the first time, or if you haven't been here in a little while, and you're just kind of jumping in, just let me say, uh, welcome. To Christ Restoration Church. How about it, huh? What are we into here? What are we doing? Um, no, really, though, this is something that the Bible is a it's an interesting book. It leaves no stones unturned, not even awkward stones like this one, apparently. But um, I will say this at the start. This passage is about circumcision. It is. Okay, it, it, it is. How, how could I deny that? Um, and yet, in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't. It really 
has nothing at all to do with circumcision. Um, I guess you're just going to have to trust me on that for now and, and uh, follow along, and, and we'll see if, if I've got this right or not. But um, I would uh, go a step further and say that um, that's the primary thing, actually, that it's not. That's the primary point that Paul's making, is that it's not about circumcision. That's the whole point. And, and again, if that sounds confusing, please keep listening. But um, if I'm right about this, if it isn't about circumcision, although that's what's splattered all over the page, what is it about? And it's, it's all there in verse 1. It's all there in verse 1. If you are uh, jumping in with us for the first time this morning, oddly enough, this is actually a really good place for you to jump in with us. Um, we've been working through this letter now. I was uh, trying to figure this out uh, this morning. We've been working through it for almost five months now. We took like a month off uh, for Advent. And we are just now, as we're coming into chapter 5, we're just entering into the last third of this letter with that reading right here. And, but I would argue that verse 1 that we've got in chapter 5 does a really good job of summing up just about everything that we've covered so far. I mean, it's all right there. I, you, you could argue that verse 1 is like the key verse of the entire letter. It, it, it sums it all up. And so what does it say? Uh, that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks Trying to unpack is what we see here in verse 1. Uh, I'll put it like this. Paul is explicitly teaching us about what I have been calling for, for a while now gospel freedom. What it is, what it isn't. And there are two sides to the story of gospel freedom, which is why we're taking two weeks to spend time in this passage. One side you could call freedom from, all right? Um, that'll be one side. If you were thinking about this as like a coin, that would be one side of the coin that we would call gospel freedom. Freedom, uh, freedom from. The other side you could call freed to. Freed to. What have we been delivered from? And then what we have we been delivered into, or you might say, what is the ongoing experience of this freedom like? That'll be next week. We're going to save that for next week. We'll um, be leaning uh, mostly into verses 13 through 15 when we get there. But freedom from, primarily speaking, um, for this morning. These things overlap. You realize that, right? It's hard to talk about one without talking about the other, but we're going to try to lean in the direction of freed from this morning. But let me read verse 1. I keep talking about it. Let me read it again for us. Um, let's uh, really try to see it, hear it, let it soak in. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There is a lot there, a lot to unpack. Uh, but whatever it is, please notice what Paul is most passionate about in this statement. Um, what's he doing? He's, he's calling them to do something in particular. What's he calling them to do? He's, he's calling us, them, us, to stand firm. Stand firm, he says. 
Stand firm in this gospel freedom. In other words, don't move off that spot. Don't budge. Don't let go. Hold tight. Hold fast. Hold the line. Be steadfast. I love this word, steadfast. You can see that I've uh, included that in the title of the sermon this morning. Steadfast freedom. Be steadfast in the freedom that Christ has provided for you. Steadfast is an interesting word. It's one of these words that you can kind of like take it apart into two different parts. I think the idea is, is like, um, be steady. And then on the other side, it's like, hold fast. Be steady while holding fast, steadfast. And that phrase, hold fast, that second part that I mentioned there, in case you might not know, it's actually a nautical term. Uh, in the word fast, you might hear the word fasten. It's kind of a curious thing. I'm just like, what is hold fast? Like, what's the fast part all about? You could hear the word fasten in there. And so it really means holding the line, tightening down the line. Um, and a sailor does that in order to what? Just to, to keep things secure and to keep things moving in the right direction, to keep the sail setting us in one direction, setting the ship in one direction, on one course. And if you've ever done something like this, I know that there's some, some people who have done some sailing in this room. I'm aware of that. If you've ever done something like this, then you know that it isn't easy work. It's hard work. It can be burdensome. Holding the line it can be burdensome. It can be hard work, and yet it's the way. That's what a sailor would tell you. Well, this is, this is how you do it. It's the way. To a sailor holding the line in certain situations, it isn't optional. It's essential. This is, this is how this works. This is what we do. And this is the idea that Paul has here when he says, stand firm then. And to be clear, the gospel itself is the line that we are holding to, or that is holding us. It's probably a better way of putting it. We're being urged to hold on to the gospel. The gospel is the sail, you might even say, that has set the course for everything to those who belong to Jesus Christ. In a sense, Paul is saying it was the good news of the person and of the life and of the works of Jesus Christ that has set you free and that continues to set you free. Freed from and freed to. Both. Both of these things. Both of these things are possible because of him, because of what he has done, because of him and because of him alone. You see, the gospel is never static. You realize this, right? It's always doing this stuff. It is always going about the work of setting us free from things and setting us free to things because we're perpetually in need of both of these things. And if we want to experience some kind of ever-growing steadfastness, steadiness, um, fullness of this freedom, then we need to stand firm. We need to hold tight. We need to hold the line of the gospel. Remain steadfast in this freedom. And to help us do that, Paul isn't simply saying to us here, he isn't, he isn't simply saying, get tough, people, muscle up, try harder. No, he's actually saying, wake up. Wise up. Think. Think with me. Consider what you're doing. Consider why you're doing it. And in my experience, what I just said right there, that's the toughest stuff, actually. So in a sense, he really is saying toughen up. Wise up. Think. Think with me. 
Consider what you're doing. Consider why you're doing it. And so how are we to think about gospel freedom? And what I believe Paul is cluing us into here in verse 1 is counterintuitive, as this may sound. Um, the key to understanding gospel freedom is to understand the burdens that we bear. That sounds weird. To understand the burdens that we bear. This is going to make sense as we go. Here's an outline along these lines. Three things for us this morning. The burden of the law. That's where we're going to get started. The burden of the law. We're actually, did I say three? I'm just so used to saying three. We're going to, we're going to consider two things this morning. All right? Just two. First, the burden of the law. This is going to be where we spend the majority of our time. This is going to be the longest point of the two. And then secondly, the burden of love. And this is going to be a very brief point. And the reason for that is because I'm wanting to make sure that we don't dip too deeply into next week's message, because that's really where we're going to be camping out next week. So again, two things, the burden of the law and the burden of love. So to begin with the burden of the law, again, in verse one there, notice what Paul says at the start. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Um, anybody here ever feel burdened? Um, do you ever feel like you're carrying something that is uh, just seems like far too heavy for you to be carrying by yourself? Uh, I don't mean this in a physical way. Uh, you understand, like when I was, in, I was thinking about when I was in high school, uh, I went to a big high school. Um, I, uh, at one point, I remember my locker was on the third floor. Most of my classes were on the first and second floor. So I had my little backpack and carried around all my books in my backpack so I didn't have to like run because, you know, I, I don't know what it's like nowadays, but like you had such a short time to get from class to class. And uh, so I would I'd carry that thing around. It was like carrying around a cinder block on your back. You know, I'm not talking about that. I don't mean this in a physical sense. I'm talking about an emotional burden, weight, uh, relational, psychological. Ultimately, what I'm talking about is a spiritual sort of weightiness. Do you ever feel weighed down in that way like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders? Probably not, right? I mean, we're all, um, it's kind of a rare experience what I'm talking about here, isn't it? Most of you here, you probably feel as light as a feather. You guys probably need one of those backpacks with a cinder block in it just to keep you from floating away. You guys, right? No burdens here. Um, yeah, right. Not so much. Paul says here that for those who have come to Jesus by faith, Paul says that Jesus has set them free in some way uh, to steal a word from verse 1 that he's unburdened them somehow, or in some way, and that he did it. Why did he do it? Why did he set them free? Wait for it. I mean, this is really deep, you guys. You guys notice this? Why did Jesus set them free? He set them free. He unburdened them so that they might be free. <laughs> That's what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us 
free. How profound. Why does Paul feel like he even needs to say that? It's almost like saying, it is for eating that I have made you dinner. It is for laughing that I have told you a joke. It is for sitting that I have given you a chair. It is for warmth that I've given you a sweater. It's just like, Captain Obvious, sure, of course. If you know him this morning, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. I have to start us off there. I have to say that. I know that this point is supposed to be the burden of the law, but we just, we've got to start out there. But what does that even mean? We have to keep reading because apparently Paul thinks that they, the Galatians, have gotten confused about this somewhere along the way. And they clearly, they have. And so um, this is why he's saying it so plainly, almost sarcastically. It is for freedom, guys. You realize, right? It is for freedom that Christ set you free? It's almost like he's saying it like that. So again, what does this freedom entail? And he spends most of his time answering that question by telling them what it doesn't entail. This is helpful a lot of the time, okay? Uh, to turn things inside out to, in order to get turned right side up. That's what Paul's doing. He's just like, let me just just sh- it, like show you the inverse of this so that you can kind of get turned, put, put back together here, guys. But it's more than that because he's addressing what's actually happening. They are turned inside out. He's trying to get them right side up. So Paul points to the way that they've let go of the rope of the gospel. They're not standing firm. They're like sliding all over the deck. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And when he speaks of them returning to a yoke of slavery, I believe he's saying this in reference to the law. Now, why would I think that? And it's because that's what he starts talking about in great length, beginning in the very next verse, in verse 2. He says, mark my words. Please notice the exclamation point there, okay? Paul is, he's getting feisty again. We've seen this before. He's getting red in the face again. Mark my words, exclamation point. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And then he explains what he means by this. Okay? Please note this, verse 4. He says, You who are trying to be, this is so critical. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So what's he talking about? What's he talking about? And how is this not actually about circumcision? I'm going to ask that question again. And before I attempt to try to show us this from the text, allow me to just start with an illustration. This might be helpful. I'm going to try to illustrate this whole thing for us. So we're just going to play pretend for a moment um, and say that uh, I have no front door on my house. Okay? I have a door, but it's not attached to the door jam. That's what we'll say. All right? And so it being February right now, it's pretty cold this morning, wouldn't you say? Uh, it, with no door on the front of my house, us Coopers were in bad shape, right? 
maybe my door was busted up somehow. The hinges aren't aligning because of that. And so I'm trying to repair it. But you know what? I'm not a carpenter as much as I'd like to think that I am. I'm not. And I can't afford. We're playing pretend. Uh, I can't afford a carpenter. And so I'm in a real bind. And stubbornly, I'm trying to fix the problem. I keep coming up short. Nothing's working. Uh, my kids have icicles hanging off their noses. They're looking at me like, Dad, what are you doing? Come on. And so finally, I have a moment of enlightenment. I come to my senses, and I call my friend Dave Smith. Some of you know Dave. Um, he may be thankful that he's not here this morning. I didn't ask his permission to talk about him in this way, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, in case you don't know Dave Smith, who, who comes to church here, he is what I would call a master carpenter. All right, um, That guy's been building houses and fixing doors longer than many of us in this room have been alive. Okay, And not only that, but Dave is a very kind man. He's a very generous man. And so I call him up. I say, Dave. I'm desperate. My door is busted. I'm all thumbs. I can't fix it. I've tried. I can't do it. Uh, my kids are going to move out. I have, I have, you know, I have no front door. I can't afford to pay anyone to do it for me, but I know that you could do it. Would you please, Dave? Would you please have mercy on me and come fix my door? And of course, Dave being Dave says, yes. He comes by. He looks things over. He evaluates things. He says, Doug, this door's got to go. It's no good. You need a whole new door. Not only that, you need a whole new door jam as well. Um, I, I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you a new door and a new door jam. I'll be by tomorrow. All right. And I say thank you, thank you, Dave. Thank you. You're the best. God bless you. And then Dave returns the next day. This is where the story gets interesting. This is where the illustration starts coming through. Okay. Uh, Dave returns the next day with his door, with his door jam that he has worked so hard to make, only to find me shabbily trying to attach that old busted up door to that old busted up door jam, um, as though I'd never had this conversation with him, as though I had like amnesia or something. And so if I did that, what would Dave say to me? What do you think Dave would say to me? Reasonably, he might look at me and say, what gives? What are, you, what, are you, what are we doing here, Doug? I thought we understood each other. I thought you needed my help. I've gone to a lot of trouble for you. Do you no longer want my help? I don't understand. That would be fair for him to say that. Okay. The Galatians, coming back to the text, the Galatians had acknowledged that they were in a desperate state, that they, 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 that they themselves were houses without doors. Okay that they were exposed, that they were unlawful, that they were sinful, that they stood condemned, that they were broken, and try as they might, that they could not properly follow and obey God's many laws. Circumcision is just one of them, you understand. I believe there's something like 611 laws in the, in the Mosaic law. Do I have that right? Don't quote me on that. Circumcision just being one of those laws, okay? But Paul had come to them and had shared the good news of the gospel with them, the news that Jesus knew. Jesus understood what kind of a jam that they were in and that he willingly and he lovingly came and that he had perfectly obeyed all of God's laws on their behalf for them, that he lived the life that they should have lived, that he died the death that they should have died for them willingly, lovingly, 
and that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that they could be fully and completely, here comes that word, that they could be fully and completely justified before God through what he had provided for them, that they could be set free once and for all, that they could be set free from the burden of their own sin, from the power and the penalty of their sin, that they could be set free from the law of God that showed them to be guilty of sin. In response, they said, yes. You seeing the parallel here? They said, yes, thank you, yes. Please go, come give us a new door and a new door jam and whatever else we need. We're helpless. We need you. Yes, thank you, Jesus. We receive by grace through faith. But then some people came knocking on that new door that Jesus had provided for them. They came knocking on the door. And they came in. They said, hey, guys, Paul left something out. Not only do you need to fully receive Christ, you also need to be circumcised. He didn't tell you that. He didn't know. And until you do so, you're not really a Christian at all. You're not fully justified. You're not actually free. So they started to the Galatians, some of them at least, began to rebuild their doors, though it was broken. But it wasn't. As though they could fix it, but they couldn't. You guys tracking with me? This is why Paul is saying, mark my words, exclamation point. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What does he mean? If you think you can fix the door, which you can't, but if you think you can, you don't know, you don't know Jesus. You don't understand what's going on about him and what he's done and why he's come. You're confused. What value will he be to you then? It's like Dave standing there with the door, like. And then listen to verse three. He says, this is an important way to think about this. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, if you think you can get that busted old door reattached to that busted old door jam, let me tell you what you really actually need to do. Let me fill, let me fill this picture out for you, Doug. You need to make a new door and a new door jam yourself. And so here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to grow a tree. That's where you're going to start. And you're going to need to cut that tree down. Then you're going to need to mill that tree into boards. And then you're going to need to cut those boards to size for your door. Then you're going to need to plane those boards. You're going to have to notch them and route them and join them together It'll all need to be done perfectly. You need to sand it down. No blemishes. No nicks. No scratches. Perfect angles. Perfect in every possible way. 
for us to perfectly obey the whole law, what would that mean? For us to perfectly obey the whole law would mean that we would perfectly reflect as in a mirror, perfectly reflect the purity of God, perfectly reflect the holiness of God, perfectly reflect the love of God, perfectly reflect the glory of God. But we can't do that. That's what Paul's saying. You can't do that. But if that's the road you want to go down, that's what you're going to need to do. Good luck. Can't do any of it. He, he, he must do all of it. He must be our justification. Jesus must do all of it, not some of it. You know, it's just like when it says um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Like, there's no footnote at the bottom that says that Jesus did, like, 95% of it and that we did five, you know, is like a participation trophy. There's no participation trophies. It was the gospel of freedom. It's all or nothing. It's all him or it's nothing at all, is what Paul's telling us. In fact, I mean, think about this. If you're remembering, what Paul told us earlier in this letter was that the law was what? It was meant to be a tutor, he said, to lead us to Christ. What I think he means by that is the, that the law, coming back to this mirror idea, that the law was meant to be like a mirror to reflect back to us who we really are. That we don't reflect God. That what, that, that, that what comes back to us is a demonstration of all the ways that we don't reflect God and how we desperately need God to be everything for us. And so we need a master carpenter. Not Dave Smith. I love that guy. But we need, we need Jesus. Like all the way. And by the way, let me just say this. It's not that the law is busted. You realize that, right? The law is not busted. Paul talks about us, about us being in slavery to it. That it's, it's, it's become a needless burden to us somehow. But please realize that it's not the law that's busted. It's us. We're busted in our relationship to the law. When we're looking to it to be our justification, is busted. In our busted state, we have misapplied the law. And the key to understanding this, and the key to understanding, I think, this whole passage, really, and the key to understanding gospel freedom really comes to us through one word in verse 1 here. I told you, verse 1 has it all. It's all there. But it's this word yoke. Did you see that? In verse 1, yoke. Not talking about egg yolks here, obviously. Um, this is not, you know, a term that is very much in our common vernacular, I don't think, anyways. Um, although I read somewhere that uh, uh, jet pilots refer to their uh, control stick, some of them refer to it as a yoke, which is actually very uh, in instructive as to what a yoke ought to do for us. But... Um, there's two, back in, at this time, when Paul wrote this, the people who would have read this, they would have thought of uh, two different kinds of yokes, probably, is what I've read. One is um, a, a agricultural yoke, one that you would place on animals, for instance, an oxen. A lot of times, this would be a yoke that would join two animals together. This isn't always the case. 
Uh, yolks are all over the world, even to this day. Sometimes there are single yolks for animals, but the most common understanding would be a yolk that would join two animals together with ropes attached to it so that they could pull, right? Um, so that they could um, plow a field and, um, or, you know, pull heavy things, these sorts of things. Another yolk that others have suggested that is meant here um, and in another passage that I'm going to share with us in just a moment is a yoke for people, a yoke for um, what would have been referred to as a porter. So this would have been a single yoke that someone might have rested on their shoulders and carried two pails of water, for instance. Maybe they went to the well, which was a long distance from the village, and man, it's heavy, it's, it's difficult, it's hard. And so by wearing this yoke uh, around their neck, they could attach these water pails to it, and what would that do for them? It would lighten their load, wouldn't it? It would make their work easier, right? Um, and here's an ob, uh, you know, obvious ob observation about this. You can only, if you're doing this, if you're a porter, you can only wear one yoke at a time, right? You can only wear one yoke. Or as Jesus put it, you can only serve one master. And the law was never meant to be our master. It was never meant to be placed around our necks as a yoke that would lighten our loads and ease our burdens. In fact, it, it does the opposite of that. You see, the law does the opposite of that. It doesn't lighten our load. It doesn't ease our burdens. It adds weight. It weighs us down because it cannot justify us. It's weak through our flesh, you understand? It can't fix our doors. And when we wear the law like a yoke, it incapacitates us, and it's meant to. It's meant to leave us longing for a true yoke, one that will truly lighten our loads, one that will truly ease us of the burdens that we bear. Do you see what I mean? So that was one long point. The burden of the law, okay? Briefly now, the, bur the burden of love, the burden of love. Um, this passage... Galatians 5 here, verses 1 through 15, it implies that Jesus is meant to be our new yoke. But it does not state, state that plainly or directly. But I can think of another passage that does do that, and I think is worth looking at um, as we're looking at this passage. Uh, you can find this on page 2 in your bulletin at the very bottom of the time of reflection. You know this. You know these verses very well because you hear me sharing them from up here very often. Uh, but look for yourself. Take, let's take a closer look at this, the, 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 this passage in its fullness. This is uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Notice the parallel, okay? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is so interesting. Feel like you got the weight of the world on your back? You feel like you've got the weight of the law hanging around your neck? Come to me, all of you who are having this experience, and I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Why should we, why should we come to him in this way? He, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke this gets to the, 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 the purpose of a yoke, right? 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me to find this and I will give it to you. This makes me think of another scene from the gospel. This one comes from John's gospel account. This is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. The Jews who had believed him, uh, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you'll learn from me and stand firm in that learning, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he says. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They were, conf they were confused. Do you see this? Different situation, maybe similar to the situation with Galatians, but I think that the, the big idea here is that this is yoke talk. This is more yoke talk. This is a yoke conversation. Jesus is saying to them, you need to take my yoke upon yourself. It will set you free. And the response was, we're not enslaved. Set you free? What are you talking about? We don't need to be set free. We have the right things in place. We have the right heritage. We have the right pedigree. We've got doors. We've got hinges. We've got hardware. We've got, you know, Thompson's water sealant and a really nice doorknob and... We've got the goods. We're free. We're fine. We have nice doors, Jesus. Both of these situations should serve us as a great warning to our hearts. Because this is what Paul's railing on. This is what Jesus is making a big deal about. He's making plain, don't fool yourself, Jesus is saying. Don't play the fool. Unless you have my yoke, you have no true yoke. You're still bound. Whether you realize it or not, you're a busted door. It doesn't matter how much paint you add. You can't cover up the nicks and the scratches and the blemishes. It won't work. You need a, a new yoke. You need me. You need to take my yoke upon you. This is the yoke you were born for. And notice that this is a burden. We're going to talk about this a lot more next week, but I just need to point this out. Okay, that, that gospel freedom is not burdenless. And so this challenges our whole concept of freedom, by the way. We've been talking about this. Jesus is definitely putting a bee in our bonnet as it relates to our concept of freedom. Gospel freedom is not burdenless. Being a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know this. And if you've been confused about it, let this clear things up. It does come with trouble. Jesus said that. He said, in this, in this world, you will encounter much trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. I mean, this is very reminiscent of what we read in verse 5 there. And this, I mean, this is really profound in terms of what it means to experience the ease and the lightness of the burden of Jesus. Paul says, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await. This is, this is, this is like a, a certainty, like a leaning in, like, oh, it's coming. Here it comes. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we 
hope. It's a, it's a coming, he's saying. And this speaks of justification. This speaks of righteousness. Why is the burden of Jesus' light in easy? Because we know I don't have to be, live on the proving ground anymore. I don't have to be on the treadmill of the law anymore. My whole entire relationship with the law can now be something new because it's not my yoke. And why, why is, why, why the burden of love? Why, why that point? Why that name? And it's because Jesus, he endured to provide this for us. He bore our sins, right? <clears throat> when we trade the yoke of the law for the yoke of Christ, we trade out self-reliance for trust in the love of Christ. He bore our sins on the cross. He bore the weight of our shame. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on his shoulders, the iniquity of us all, the weight of it, the weight of the world on his shoulders. You see? Stand firm in this. We're going to unpack this a lot more next week, but stand firm. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this, um, this reminder, oh, how we need it. Oh, how quick we are to lose our footing. How quick we are to allow ourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. To, to, to seek to justify ourselves. God, we, may we be moved by the firm foundation that rests beneath our feet because of what Jesus has done for us. May we be moved to respond in like kind, that we would have a new relationship with the law, that we would, we would obey from a place of love rather than self-reliant obedience. Teach us. Help us to stand firm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.